You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Explorers Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to start by saying that today's topic, Brendan the Navigator, is a difficult one. It's a tale I have always wanted to cover, but figuring out exactly how to do so was always the challenge. And that's because Brendan's story is, mostly, myth, but maybe rooted in reality. And trying to figure out exactly how to present such a story is just not that simple. This is because Brendan was a very real, and very important, man in his lifetime. He was one of the early Irish monastic saints and is one of the Twelve Apostles of Ireland. Those are very real things. However, it is for his legendary voyage in search of paradise that he is most remembered. And when we examine this voyage, it raises questions as to what, if any of it, is based on reality. You can look at the voyage of Brendan the Navigator and see it as nothing more than a religious allegory told within a narrative framework that was popular in the 7th and 8th centuries. But there's more to it than that. Brendan's story is so widely embraced beyond its religious and literary natures that for centuries, Brendan's island would show up on world maps. When he sailed west in 1492, Christopher Columbus was said to have had a map showing the supposed location of Brendan's island. And thus, the idea that Brendan did make a voyage of discovery is something that historians and religious scholars have debated to this day. There are even some who argue that Brendan may have reached North America. With all of that in mind, here is how I am going to tackle the topic of Brendan the Navigator. First, we will briefly look at the life of Brendan. This is the history stuff, the real-world things we know about the man and his life. Second, we will take a look at the legendary voyage of Brendan. We will base this on the manuscript, The Voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot, which was first written down around the year 900. This manuscript reads like a fantasy, with giant monsters and talking birds and stuff like that, and it's loaded with religious themes and ideas. What I'll do is take you through Brendan's voyage and describe some of the places he goes in the major events, but I won't go super in-depth with details. Also, regarding the religious elements of the story, I will touch on them throughout the narrative, but I will not dig too deeply. And that is because a lot of what is presented in the voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot is probably best discussed by religious scholars, which I am not. And to build on that comment, I will offer some of my thoughts about Brendan's voyage and the Christian nature of the story, but know that those ideas will come from me and they may end up being completely off. I can promise you that Matt Breen talking about 1,000-year-old religious texts is going to be a mixed bag of stuff. So forgive me if I miss some really obvious things, or I'm totally off on others. Also, I want to stress that while I'll talk about the religious elements of Brendan's voyage and life, 
I will not use divine aid or intervention or inspiration as an explanation to the questions we pose. By this, I mean I won't say that perhaps God drove Brendan and his ship in the right direction, or maybe God protected Brendan and his monks from disease. People may believe such things, but as I said, those kinds of discussions are for religious scholars. Okay, so that's the second part of the podcast. Part 3 will shift from the religious nature of Brendan's voyage and focus on the possibilities of what Brendan did. This means asking, could Brendan have made a voyage, or voyages, of discovery in his life? If so, where might he have gone? In doing this, we will call back to Brendan's manuscript and link some of the fantastical tales of our Irish monk to real-world locations. And for the third part of our podcast, we'll touch on the legacy of Brendan and his stories and how they have affected explorers for centuries. In the end, just keep in mind that this story is one that features a lot of speculation and conjecture. So that is it for all of our disclaimers and explanations. Let's get on with our story. St. Brendan of Clonfort, also known as Brendan the Voyager, Brendan the Bold, and, most famously, Brendan the Navigator, was born near Tralee in the county of Munster in southwest Ireland, circa 484. He was of the clan Altraig. His parents were Finlug and Cara, and his family was socially prominent. Brendan was baptized, and from the age of one, was given to some nuns to be raised. He was then sent to a monastery school in Chum at the age of six. Christianity was only about 100-200 years old in Ireland at this time, existing alongside traditional Celtic deities of the age. However, Christianity was growing rapidly, with the power of the church centered around the land's monasteries. The monasteries emerged not only as religious communities, but centers of learning and medicine as well as sanctuary. That Brendan, the son of important parents, became a part of one of these powerful religious and social centers is not a shock. Joining the clergy has, for centuries, been a common path for men such as Brendan. He was tutored by Finian of Clonard, one of the fathers of Irish monasticism, making him one of the Twelve Apostles of Ireland, a title given to those who learned under the legendary monk. Brendan would be ordained a priest at the age of 26, and then go on to become one of Ireland's most famous religious leaders. He formed monastic cells throughout Ireland, and became known as a traveler, sailing to the Aran Islands, Scotland, Wales, and Brittany, the latter the northeastern coast of France. So all of these things are considered historical facts, and from his extensive work founding monasteries and spreading the Christian faith, Brennan would go on to become a saint. It makes him a significant historical individual, and one of the most important figures in the history of the Christian church in Ireland. But it is Brendan the Navigator, Brendan the Voyager, not Brendan the Saint, that most people have heard about. And it is Brendan's voyage that we will move on to at this time. Now, despite the fact that most people have heard about Brendan's voyage, most really don't know the specifics surrounding it. So what I'm going to do is talk about the background of Brendan's voyage, most importantly the source material, and then what we'll do is go through the actual manuscript of the voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot. The earliest recorded version of Brendan's voyage is from around the year 900. It is an Italian manuscript titled Navigatio Sancti Brendani Abitas, The Voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot. By the way, I'm not sure if I read that Italian title very well, but I hope it works. Now, it is not like there is one version of Brendan's tale. There are literally hundreds of different versions of the story, written over hundreds of years in many different languages. It speaks to the enduring appeal of the story, that it spreads so far and wide, and in so many tongues. Brendan's tale is likely drawn on and inspired by earlier stories. One is the pre-Christian saga called The Voyage of Maeldun, which is the story of a son of a murdered Irish chief who goes on a voyage to all these fantastic islands, not unlike Brendan. 
Another likely source of inspiration for Brendan's voyage is the story of Bran. Written in the late 7th or early 8th century, Bran's story, again, features a man who goes on a sea voyage, visiting all sorts of wondrous islands. Bran's tale can be classified as an Imram. These are old Irish tales featuring a hero's sea journey to some fantastic other world. In addition to the whole sea journey part, an Imram generally incorporated elements of Christianity as well as Celtic folklore. In these stories, the hero usually undergoes trials and tribulations and succeeds in reaching his destination because of his righteousness and Christian nature. And thus, you can see how Brendan's tale could easily have developed. Like so many stories, it was probably passed down orally before being written down. Brennan was known as a widely traveled man, founding centers of Christian learning and teaching. In an era where people often never ventured more than a day's walk from the place that they were born for their entire life, Brennan would have been a traveler of great renown. To insert him into an Imram simply would make sense. So with all of that in mind, let's tell the story of Brendan the Navigator, as told in The Voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot. Our story begins when Brandon is an old man. He's often described as being in his 70s or 80s. He is visited by a disciple of his, a priest named Berinthus, later to be called St. Berinthus. Berinthus described to Brendan an island to the west he had visited, which he called the Promised Land of Saints. It was an earthly paradise that only the most righteous can achieve. It was such an amazing place, Berinthus was driven to tears as he describes it to his mentor. Upon hearing this tale, Brendan is determined to visit this holy place. From a monastery at the foot of Mount Brendan, on the Dingle Peninsula in Western Ireland, Brendan began to organize his journey. He assembled a group of 14 monks to accompany him on his voyage. One of the monks, according to some tales, is Mallow, later St. Mallow, and the founder of the city of St. Mallow in Brittany. Brendan told the monks, quote, I have in my heart resolved to go forth in quest of the land of promise of the saints, about which Father Berinthus discoursed to us, end quote. He then asked their advice regarding the quest, and they encouraged it to go forward, and all agreed to participate. With that decided, they began fasting for forty days at three-day intervals. The monks then constructed a boat to take them on their journey. It was described as a light vessel with iron implements. It had wicker sides and ribs, and a hull covered in cowhide. There was a single mast and sail, as well as oars. The boat was loaded with forty days of food and provisions. This was a cura, which was a classic boat of this time. In fact, it's likely that Pythias, who we did a show on several years ago, used a cura to circumnavigate Great Britain. This kind of boat was remarkably seaworthy, although it was not designed for long, ocean-going voyages. These boats would have mostly sailed along the coast, or perhaps ventured out to nearby islands. They were certainly capable of moving from Ireland to Scotland, Wales, England, and France. We will talk more about the cura after we do a review of Brendan's voyage. So, just before Brendan and his 14 companions were ready to depart, they would be joined by three other men. These are often depicted as monks. This is a bit of an upsetting thing, because according to Brendan, the number of men on the voyage is holy in nature, and they can't accomplish their mission until these newcomers are gone. Numbers, by the way, are very important in many cultures and religions. 40 days and 40 nights, for example. 14, 12, 7, 3, all important numbers in Christianity. Anyhow, the expedition, now consisting of 17 monks with Brendan, would depart on their journey to find paradise. They set out in the direction of the summer solstice, likely meaning the northwest point, where the sun sets in the summer. Now, going forward, the tale of Brendan is divided up into 28 chapters. In these chapters, the monks visit about 15 new locations, most of them islands. Some of these episodes are quite intricate, paragraphs of detail and descriptions. Others are very simple, just a sentence or two. 
Oftentimes, the stories involve the monks landing on an island, and some event happens or a lesson is learned. Many of the stories involve faith, with Brendan and the events of the story teaching his companions to have faith in God. I'll describe a few of these encounters. Brendan and his fellow monks would set out from Ireland and initially have fair winds, followed by 12 days of dead calm. And then, after 40 days at sea and their food nearly gone, they sighted a rocky island. The monks would circle the island for three days before finding a small cove where they disembarked. Once on shore, a dog appeared and led them to a mansion with a spacious hall. The men washed and were amazed to find fish and bread on a table. Fish and bread, by the way, are very powerful symbols in Christianity. Anyhow, in this hall there were many fine items of metal on the walls, including bridles and horns inlaid with silver. The company would spend three days resting and recovering on the island, with Brendan warning his disciples not to take anything. However, at one point, Brendan saw a demon in the guise of a small African boy encouraging one of the late-arriving monks to take a bridle. Brendan later confronts the monk, who confesses his sin and begs forgiveness. The demon then jumps out of the chest of the monk and flees. The man then dies. The other monks give the man a Christian burial, and angels arrive to carry his soul to heaven. The tale has some obvious religious overtones. It speaks of how the devil will tempt us with earthly riches, but it also demonstrates that a sinner can still be redeemed by God if he is willing to show true remorse and repent for one's sins. On another level, it shows that a guardian must keep a watchful eye on his flock. The next island Brendan goes to is described as bountiful. It's full of fish, fountains, and flocks of pure white sheep. The monks spend Easter Sunday on this island. One of the more fanciful stories of Brendan's voyage is another of the early islands the monks come upon. This island has no grass, no sand, and just a few bits of timber. The monks were nervous about this strange island, but Brendan calmed them and told them not to be afraid. They go ashore and gather up some loose timber to start a fire and celebrate Mass. It is then that the island began to move. The men, save for Brendan, are terrified, and they hop into their boat and sail off. It is then that Brendan reveals that the island is actually the greatest fish in the ocean. His name was Lasconius, and it did not harm the monks. The point of this story may have been to emphasize that all of the Earth's creatures, even the largest, were created and are under the dominion of God. In another story, the monks find their boat being stalked by a great fish, intent on devouring them. Brendan calmly tells the monks to pray and have faith, and just as the big fish moves in for the kill, another fire-breathing sea creature appears and tears apart the threat. The next day, the men come upon a grassy island, and on shore they find a huge piece of the dead fish. This provides the men with three months of food. A later island features a similar story, where a giant bird is out to attack the monks. Just before it can strike, another bird, sent by God, intercepts the attacking creature and kills it. Two things here. First, Brendan is always the calm and wise and knowing leader of the monks. When everyone else is panicking, he's there telling them to chill, pray, and have faith in God. And it always works out. God does answer the prayers of the faithful. God does provide food and water and security to those who deserve it. The voyage of Brendan will be filled with many wonders. There's an island with 24 monks who never age. Another island is filled with people who sing psalms. There's an island of birds, some of which talk and sing. We find fountains whose waters put you to sleep for days and days, and holy men of great age. Another interesting item is described as columns in the sea. Later in their travels, the monks encounter a tortured Judas, the betrayer of Christ. It is one of the more striking moments in the manuscript, as Judas is tortured endlessly by demons for his sins. Brendan's arrival provides Judas a single night respite from the torments of the demons. At another island, these hairy, hideous men throw fiery slag at the ship. 
On another island, they saw it shooting flames from its peak like a volcano. There will be storms as well as periods of good weather. Brendan frequently lets the winds take the ship in whatever direction God intends. In the end, the ship will sail for seven years searching for the Blessed Isle. The monks will travel in a circle, revisiting the same islands over and over, often on a specific date. For instance, there is one island the men return to each Easter to celebrate the rising of Jesus. Eventually, the voyage of Brendan will have to come to an end. Now, remember the monks had added three men at the last minute before departing. Well, one of those monks had died on that very first island. As for the other two, they would be detached from the party in various fashions, thus getting the contingent back to the holy number of 14, which is necessary to reach paradise. And then, in the final chapter of the manuscript, Brendan and his monks sail west for 40 days and then approach a great darkness. Brendan is then informed by God that this is the land that he had been seeking. And then, from the darkness, a light shone, guiding them. In the manuscript, it says, quote, When they had disembarked, they saw a land, extensive and thickly set with trees, laden with fruits, as in the autumn season. End quote. This was the promised land, often called the Blessed Isle or Brendan's Isle. Some say it was the Garden of Eden. A young man would approach them, saying, quote, This is the land you have sought after so long a time, but you could not hitherto find it, because Christ our Lord wished, first to display to you his diverse mysteries in this immense ocean. Now return to the land of your birth, bearing with you as much of those fruits and of those precious stones as your boat can carry. For the days of your earthly pilgrimage must draw to a close, when you may rest at peace among your saintly brethren. End quote. After exploring the lands for forty days and finding it had no end, Brendan would gather food and gems and depart paradise, eventually returning to his monastery. He and his disciples had been gone for seven years. And that, my friends, is the conclusion of the story of Brendan and his legendary voyage. Slipping back from the story to historical fact, Brendan would die around 557 in Annandown while visiting his sister. He would have been about 90 to 95 years old. Brendan had been worried that his followers would take his remains as relics, so he arranged to have his body secretly returned to the monastery at Clonford, where he was interred in Clonford Cathedral. And that is the life of St. Brendan eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In all human history, there are few stories like that of ancient Egypt. On the banks of the Nile, these people created one of the most enduring and significant cultures. Their tale comes to life in the History of Egypt podcast. Every week, we explore the tales of this amazing culture, from the legendary days of creation and the gods, all the way to Cleopatra, and everything in between. The History of Egypt podcast is written and produced by a trained Egyptologist. We go much deeper than your average documentary or magazine article to uncover tales of life, 
great endeavours, and the amazing arc of a mighty kingdom. The History of Egypt podcast is available on all podcasting platforms, apps, and websites. Come, visit Ancient Egypt, and experience a legendary culture. With the voyage of Brendan complete, I want to do two things. First, I want to look at Brendan's voyage in the context of the real world. Most of this will be speculation. But what I want to do is understand if any of the tales in Brendan's stories have potential roots in real places. Also, I want to ask if it was even possible that Brendan traveled out on the ocean for an extended period. And, of course, I'll address the question that everyone likes to ask. Could St. Brendan have actually reached North America? Like I said, most of this will be speculation, but it will be fun. And second, I'll talk about how Brendan's life and the story of his voyage have not just endured, but thrived in the centuries after his death, and even up to this day. So let us start with the fun stuff, the examination of Brendan's voyage, and linking it to the real world. Now, as we discussed earlier, this type of seafaring hero story was popular around 7800, and Brendan was known to have been a widely traveled man, sailing to Wales, England, Scotland, and France. So creating a story around the man is not a surprise, but were there elements of truth in Brendan's voyage? In the voyage of St. Brendan the Abbot, he and his disciples visit 15 or so lands, most of them islands, and that leads us to wonder, were some of these places real? Well, the logical way to look at a potential real-life voyage of Brendan is to start in the north, as noted in the story. If you go north from Ireland, you will sail along the coast of Scotland and then strike out into the ocean. About 200 miles, or 325 kilometers, north of Scotland, you run into the Faroe Islands. This is a collection of 18 small islands. The first permanent human settlement of the Faroes wasn't until the 800s, but there's evidence of human inhabitation as early as the 4th century. Amongst these early visitors were believed to have been Irish monks. Also, sheep DNA has been found on the island that dates to 500 CE. In our tale, one of the first islands the monks visit was filled with white sheep. Also, an early Norse name of the Faroes translates as Sheep Islands, which causes people to ask, could this island in our story have been one of the Faroes? Of course, I can't actually answer this or subsequent questions, but it's fun to speculate. So, right after Brendan reaches the island of sheep, he then goes to an island full of birds, referenced as the paradise of birds in the text. One of the pharaohs may well have fit this description. Today, more than 300 bird species have been recorded living on the pharaohs, and more than 50 species breed regularly on the islands. That Brendan and his disciples reached one of these islands during breeding season could offer an explanation of this part of the story. Now, from the Faroes, a ship could go northwest, about 300 miles, or 485 kilometers, and reach Iceland. Now, unlike the Faroes, there is no evidence of human habitation of Iceland until around 800. Iceland offers some interesting possible links to our story. Specifically, the voyage of Brendan talks about a mountain spewing fire, as well as creatures throwing molten slag at the ship. This could be construed as a volcanic eruption, with lava and ash spitting into the ocean. Iceland has numerous active volcanoes. From Iceland, it is on to Greenland, a voyage of at least 500 miles, or 820 kilometers, and then it's another 600 miles, or 1,000 kilometers, to the North American mainland. The waters between Iceland and Greenland are notoriously dangerous, filled with ice flow and icebergs. Brendan talks of big white columns in the ocean. Could these have been icebergs? The water around Iceland and Greenland and the Canadian coast are filled with bergs and floating ice. 
and just about anywhere in these waters, the monks could have come into contact with a great whale, which would explain the huge fish in one of the chapters. The last item I want to talk about is the final island in Brendan's story, the Blessed Lands. It is described as being cloaked in darkness. It's not hard to imagine this being the mist and fog-shrouded shores of Labrador, Newfoundland. And remember, the monks explored the island for 40 days and found there was no end to the land, indicating it was more than just an island. After reaching the Blessed Isle, Brendan and his fellow monks would have had to return home. The ocean currents do flow from North America back to Europe, so it's possible they could have caught these and made it back to Ireland. Now, all of this said, there are some huge questions about whether Brendan, or anyone from this era, could have made such a voyage. The first thing we should look at is Brendan's boat. He conducted his voyage using a traditional cura from the era. While these were nimble and light and seaworthy, you're probably wondering how well could they have held up crossing the Atlantic and back. Well, we actually have an answer to this question. In 1976, Timothy Severin, a historian, writer, and adventurer, decided to recreate Brendan's voyage using only materials and knowledge from the era. Using traditional handcrafted tools, Severin and his team built a 36-foot-long, or 11 meters, two-masted boat of Irish ash and oak. They hand-lashed it together with leather thong and wrapped it with 49 traditionally tanned oxhides. Severin and his crew of three men then sailed from Charlie, Ireland, intent on reaching the North American coast. They departed on May 17, 1976. They would spend 13 months and travel 4,500 miles, or 7,200 kilometers, before arriving in Newfoundland, Canada. Severin and his boat, named the Brendan, went up the coast of Scotland, stopped at the Hebrides, and then the Faroes, followed by Iceland. From there, it was on to Greenland and Canada. I want to note that Severin and his people took their time, stopping for weeks and even months at a time, to allow the weather to clear. This was just like Brennan had done in his story. Now, while Severin had built the boat as a traditional cura, he had many modern conveniences, such as a radio, tarps, a bilge pump, and stuff like that. Plus, they knew the specific route they had to take and had help available when and if needed. Still, it was an impressive deed, and it did demonstrate how a voyage such as Brennan could have happened. I stress could there, because just by making the crossing, it does not prove that Brendan did so. By the way, Severin made a movie and wrote a book about his expedition, both called The Brendan Voyage. Also, the boat he built, The Brendan, is on display at the Craganoan Open Air Museum in County Clare, Ireland. So, was this route the same taken by Brendan? I will be honest and say, unlikely. Impossible? No, but unlikely. To me, the biggest factor would have been the complexity of such a voyage. To have managed to sail thousands of miles into unknown ocean in a primitive boat is just not likely. They would have had to have had food, water, and clothing. They would have had to survive storms and ice and cold. And as Severin demonstrated with his boat, navigating a Kura is very hard. The Kura mostly just went where the ocean took it. To have completed such a voyage and then returned would have been immensely difficult. Again, not impossible, but a one in a million odds type of thing. Now, I want to stress that this doesn't mean that there aren't nuggets of truth in Brendan's story. The bards of the age may simply have taken a popular literary form, the Imram, and imbued it with religious stories, personalities, and themes. This means taking their most famous traveler, and revered saint, and inserting him in one of these stories. The voyage to the pharaohs, and even Iceland, may not have been Brendan, but other monks. It was not uncommon in ancient times to meld various stories together, or borrow or alter elements to make a good narrative. In the end, the voyage of Brendan, while we wonder about all the real-world stuff, is really more impactful as a religious vehicle. The stories speak about the power of faith, about working together, about being good. 
It teaches us that there are difficult challenges out there facing us, and there will be rewards for those who are good and true, and torments for those who sin. There's nothing wrong with those ideas and themes. Now, regarding Brendan's voyage, I do want to note that we are looking to the north for real possible world links. But what about elsewhere? Well, I'll throw out a few other ideas, these from the south. The Azores are west of Portugal and about 1,200 miles, or 1,930 kilometers, southwest of Ireland. The Madeira Islands and the Canaries are even further, but almost directly south of Ireland. Maybe Brendan was sailing to France or wherever and got swept up in a storm, and he was blown to one of these places. Again, who knows? But they all offer possibilities, even if fanciful ones. So this basically wraps up the whole real-world links to Brendan's story. And that moves us on to our next section, a short rundown regarding the legacy of St. Brendan. So, the legacy of Brendan the Navigator is long-reaching. He is a Christian saint and one of the founders of the Irish monastic tradition. He was very important to the growth of Christianity in Ireland. All of this makes him an important historical figure. But it is his legendary voyage that has resonated with people for 1,500 years. It's really quite extraordinary. One sign of how influential Brendan has been is with mapmakers. If you look at surviving maps of the 13th, 14th, and 15th century and beyond, you will often see appearances of an island in the Atlantic marked as Brendan's Isle. Early maps place Brendan's Isle at the same location as the Canaries, Madeiras, and Azores. Other times, the island appears where no land actually exists. In the Age of Discovery, navigators, such as Christopher Columbus, had maps that included Brendan's Isle. It was a conceit of the mapmakers, but it shows how seriously they took the story of our famed Irish monk. So why has Brendan's voyage been so embraced over the centuries? Well, I would argue that it's just a great story that fires the imagination. Think about it. Irish monks finding unknown land to the west a thousand years before Columbus, 500 years before the Vikings. Of course people are going to love that. You add in the religious themes, the idea that God had led his devout followers to the New World centuries before anyone else, and it's just a great mix of adventure and teaching and wonder. That's just really hard to beat. So, to this day, St. Brendan is honored and remembered in so many ways, it is impossible to list them all. For obvious reasons, Brendan is the patron saint of boatmen, sailors, and travelers, but he's also the patron saint of some lesser groups. He is also the patron saint of elderly adventurers, whales, and also of portaging canoes. I love that the last group, canoe portagers, have their own patron saint. St. Brendan's feast day is May 16th. Anyhow, you will find schools and churches with Brendan's name on them in Ireland, Scotland, England, Iceland, the Faroe Islands, Newfoundland, Florida, Maine, Australia, Argentina, Nigeria, and Italy. That's four different continents. The most famous place associated with Brendan is Clonfort Cathedral in Ireland, which Brendan founded in 563. The original cathedral was replaced with a new one beginning in the 12th century. Also, regarding Brendan, you will find tons of references to the man and his voyage in songs, poems, novels, video games, and a bunch more. There are also many famous paintings of Brendan, as well as statues and monuments. One of the most well-known statues of Brendan is at Square Bantry in County Cork in Ireland. And I have actually been to that location, and I posted a photo I took of the statue on our website, explorespodcast.com. So that is it for the story of Brendan the Navigator. It is, admittingly, a different type of story than we normally cover here on the Explorers podcast, but I had fun with it, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. I want to offer a thanks to a friend of the show, Jim, who helped out with some of the Irish pronunciations in this episode. I will wrap up by saying thanks to all the supporters of the show, 
from our Patreon program, I want to acknowledge some of our staunchest backers, including Elizabeth, Fleur, Gregory, Peter, Philip, Ralph, Benjamin, Robert, Jesse, Dave P., Donald, Rudy, Adam, Eileen, Cameron, Catherine, Christopher, Collier, Craig, David Michael, and Chris. To you and all who help out, thank you very much. Otherwise, thanks again for joining us at the Explorers Podcast. Please take care. I will see you next time. The Explorers Podcast is part of the Airwave Media Network. Go to airwavemedia.com to find out about other super cool podcasts, including kick-ass news in the history of the Second World War. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today.